Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Hello and welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. It is the morning after the night before, of course, and Arsenal's disappointing 1-0 defeat to Porto in the Champions League round of 16 first leg is on the agenda today. We will be looking back at the game, the performance, the late goal we conceded, and lots more besides. Just a quick thing before we get into that conversation. Uh, Obviously, there are lots of ways to keep up with everything that we do here at Arsblog, the website, first and foremost, there is social media. We do have official Arsblog apps for iOS and for Android, of course. They're both in the process of of being upgraded and upgraded quite substantially. So I would say hold off on the app thing for the moment. We'll have better apps for you in a in a little while. The websites, of course, are optimized for mobile and all the rest, but there's always something new coming along. And what we have done is set up a WhatsApp channel. Now, they're not available everywhere yet, but if you do use WhatsApp, you can subscribe to the Arsblog channel and we'll push through some updates, notifications for you on there. Typically some pre-game stuff, post-game stuff, and maybe a little bit of a roundup on a daily basis of news stories, what we do on the blog and what's happening uh, on the podcast. You can find a link to the WhatsApp channel. You can just click that. It should bring you through. You should be able to subscribe. It's a broadcast only 
only channel, so it's not a, a conversational thing. You'll just get updates. I think you can react to the various things with, with emoji if you want. And it's a little bit odd in that it doesn't give you notifications. It's something you have to manually check. So it's not going to flood your phone with notifications or anything like that. But if you would like to keep up with what we're doing on Arsblog in this way, just click the link or find the link in the show notes and you can uh, you can join our our WhatsApp channel, and hopefully uh, it's something that will be useful to you guys over the coming weeks, months, and maybe years. Who knows? Right. Let's get on with the show. And with me to discuss the game last night is Phil Costa. Good morning, Phil. Good morning, Andrew. How are we doing? We're okay, I think. Just trying to um, trying to sort of not come to terms or get to grips with what we saw last night, because after... You know, what what has been a very impressive run of form for Arsenal in the Premier League, I think it was maybe a touch surprising that we were as toothless last night as, as we were. There are probably myriad reasons for that, but perhaps one of them is simply the fact that, that once you get to this stage of the uh, the Champions League, of this knockout competition... It's different. It is different from the Premier League. It's different from the FA Cup. It's different from the uh, EFL Cup. And we haven't been there for a long time. And I'm not trying to make excuses here. I'm just trying to put in context and start a discussion about what we saw last night. So how much do you think, you know, not the occasion itself, but but sort of relearning this level of European football, which we're going to have to do very, very quickly, obviously, with the second leg on the way, was a contributory factor to what we saw last night. Yeah, I, I can agree with that. It's fair to say that this defeat opened up some old wounds. Yeah. Um, you could feel the frustration at that result. Um, plus, combined with a sheer desperation to be successful in this competition, right? We are just so desperate to be amongst this European elite. And I think that filters through into into our reactions as well. After our recent run in the league, confidence was high and people were maybe expecting an easier ride than what we got. But for sure, I think reputations have to be built or rebuilt. And I think we as fans, most of us anyway, still remember and consider Arsenal as regular Champions League fixtures, you know, having been spoiled under Arsene Wenger for many years, as horrible as those latter years were and as, and as miserable as our general history in the competition is. But our last Champions League knockout tie was seven years ago. Mm. You know, that's a that's a long time. Players have come and gone. Even managers have, have come and gone. And it feels like we need to, to reestablish ourselves again. Um, yeah, this is a young team. Only one of the starting 11 last night had played a Champions League knockout tie before mm. um, in Kai Havertz. And having praised a lot of the maturity and development we've made in a domestic sense this season, there were signs of immaturity in our in our play last night. And I think, you know, heading back to the Emirates in three weeks, there'll be um, some professional pride to kind of put right and, and regain and hopefully we can do it. But no doubt the morning after we are kind of licking our wounds a bit. Yeah, for sure. And look, um, it's not not that we haven't been without European football, because we have. We've had Europa League. We did have that season out of Europe, of course. But Porto have been in the Champions League, you know, uh, what's... One, two, three, four, seven 
uh, of the last nine seasons. You know, so they do have experience in this competition. And and I was in agreement with Mikel Arteta when he spoke beforehand because there were questions about like our last exit from uh, from the Champions League, which of course was that that painful one against Bayern Munich and all those round of sixteen exits. Where Mikel Arteta said, you know, it's not relevant. This happened in the past. It's not relevant to now. And I agree with that. In in that, obviously, the team is different. The context is different. But I do think there is something about learning European football and learning how to play against continental opposition and I'm sure we'll come to this and this isn't to be um, stereotypical in any way but there is uh, or there have been you know I was watching it last night I was thinking oh yeah I remember this I remember how it goes <laughs> in the Champions League against certain teams and, and the way that they play and the way they try and influence the game not just with the ball um, I'm not saying the Premier League is like the paragon of honesty or virtue or anything like that but there are ways of, of dealing with um, knockout ties in the Champions League that I think other clubs have got a little bit more experience with. So let's start with team news. There wasn't any really. Uh, Fabio Vieira was on the bench. He was the only guy who was who was back. And he's never going to start, having been out for so long. So it wasn't a surprise that Miguel Arteta picked the same team that had done so well in, in the previous games. No, no, not at all. I, I think it was kind of a given. Maybe, I, I, maybe I would have looked at Jorginho coming into this game just to kind of help us settle things down a bit in a difficult environment. I think Porto made their intentions clear very early on in how they were going to play. So, if we were going to make a change, I think potentially there was scope for. Havertz to start as the as the false nine or the central striker and maybe bring Jorginho into the game just to provide a bit of mm. security in uh, in the middle. But and experience, Trossard, Champions, and experience League. Champions, Champions League experience. You know he's won it as we said before. Mm. Um, so yeah, that's maybe something I would have done or considered, but I wasn't overly upset at what we did in the end because Trossard has been good. His relationship with Kai Havertz in particular has been good. Um, I just think on the night he was a bit sloppy, but he wasn't the only one. So no. um, again, it's just a general frustration about the guys who are missing again. Yes, yeah. we'll come to that. We'll come to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's too simplistic to say the tone was set early on uh, with that Declan Rice yellow card. Mm-hmm. But it was perhaps indicative of what was to come collectively from Arsenal, that when we're at our best, those things happen automatically. You know, nobody is in a a state of confusion. I look back at it this morning and Rice takes his eye off the ball. I think he's expecting William Saliba to play a a pass to Gabriel, which will give him time to reset. But he's not looking. He's, I think, gesturing to Bakayo Saka on the right-hand side. Saliba doesn't look either. He plays a sort of pass, assuming that Declan Rice is where he is, and he's right in that sense, but he doesn't notice that Declan Rice is is not looking uh, at the ball. The challenge, I mean, I don't think there's a lot in it, to be honest. I don't think there's a great deal of contact. But again, it's one of those that 
at this stage of a European competition, you make that kind of a challenge, regardless of whether it's the first minute or the 50th minute, the referee is always going to take out a yellow card, particularly when the player you've tackled makes it look like you've absolutely been, uh, he's been polexed, which he wasn't. There was barely any contact. But this is what you have to be cognizant of in moments like that, that maybe it's better just to let that guy just sort of run off you and, and count on Saliba to to do the defending. It was just it was just sloppy and careless and there was there was a, a sort of undercurrent of that throughout the performance. Completely. I don't know if we were nervous, but it became very apparent to me quite quickly that the pitch was greasier, faster than we expected and I never felt like we adjusted to that. There were overhit passes passes that were just bouncing off feet and like you said that yellow card the early yellow card I think it was like 70 seconds um, kind of set the tone in terms of a general carelessness and sloppiness to our play through gritted teeth Porto were good on the night their intensity was very good it wasn't just a low block where they were telling Arsenal to to come and break us down they were organized Mm. and compact but picked their moments to press well. And I thought they targeted Rice and Saliba in particular in our deeper central areas, which meant we struggled to progress the ball well enough all night. I mean, Saliba in particular, I thought looked nervous and a bit loose throughout. I didn't, I wasn't overly trusting him in him in possession. Um, and this is kind of just who Porto are as a team. This is who Sergio Conceição is as a coach. He is very centered around the dark arts. He likes to kill the fluency of the games and they just picked their moments to jump out. And But yeah, in general, their shape just made it very difficult for us to progress the ball. The central areas were so congested and both fullbacks... Um, played well you know I I saw some some interesting stats Porto have drawn the most fouls in the league in Portugal (laughs) with 357 this season (laughs) they've had the most yellow cards against with 80 and the second most yellow cards themselves so I think you get an idea and a flavor of who this team are yeah in their current iteration and we just struggled to overcome that get get to grips with it mm. um it, it felt so frustrating the stop start nature of the game was just i mean how many times were we texting each other during the game <laughs> it was just like again this referee's given another foul again yeah i think the um, um the most used phrase on the live blog last night was porto player falls over free kick porto and it was like and again 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 i mean you've gone there so we might as well we, we might as well talk about this. Mikel Arteta mentioned it, but he didn't. He didn't. Um, he didn't use it as an excuse, right? That the the Porto players were extremely light on their feet. I think some of the some of the. I mean, you can only call them dives because the the slightest um, Arsenal player just getting in the in the vicinity of a Porto player, he'd go down and grab that, grab the ball. There was one right by their corner flag, which should have been a free kick to Arsenal and probably a, a yellow card. The guy just fell over and grabbed the ball and got up absolutely confident that, that he was going to get a free kick and he was right. And, and you know, that is something we're going to have to come to terms with, which is what Arteta said afterwards. It's something we're going to have to to learn to deal with in European competitions because certain teams are just 
highly cynical. And I think that's true. And there were there were moments in this game where, you know, Porto cynicism wasn't restricted to them just falling over. I can think of one where Martinelli got down the left-hand side. I think it was Conceição who just pulled him back. There was another one when Havertz did well to regain the ball in our half, drove through one of the rare, rare occasions where we had actually you know, got between the lines and potentially could have driven into the opposition half. And I think it was uh, Gonzalez who pulled him back. Yellow card, yellow card. They'll take the yellow card. And I don't think it's as much about what it does to the fluency of the game uh, in as much as it prevented Arsenal doing anything in transition, winning the ball, and catching the opposition slightly out of shape, which is what we do a lot and what we do quite well, make a tackle, win the ball, drive on. You, you just could not do that at all last night because every time there was a free kick awarded to Porto. I mean, at one point in the second half, the Porto guy was, I think it was Conceição again, he literally was pulling Kivior's shirt. And the foul went against Kivior. He fell yeah. over. And got a free kick. I mean, it was absurd. And I'm not blaming Porto, and I'm not using this as an excuse. I'm just trying to point out what happened. It's down to the referee to be a bit stronger and a bit more savvy when it comes to 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 officiating, uh, you know, when teams play like that. But it did make it very difficult. I think it was part of why we were not effective last night. And, and you know, if you want to give Porto credit in inverted commas for that, I think that's fine. We're going to have to deal with it. But it was certainly an aspect of the game that, 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 you know, just played out over the 90 minutes. Completely. There was another example as well, again, with Conceição, where Havertz had just been booked. Yeah. And he tried to get Havertz sent off by uh, trying to cut inside and flop to the ground. And, you know, look, Porto made their intentions very clear. They, they played the game like you said, with a cynicism, with a with an experience, with a level of experience of, of what European knockout football is. Um, and they essentially went full South America. I know they're a Portuguese team, but they have a lot of Brazilian players, some Argentine players in the team, and the constant flopping to the ground, three or four players going to ground from every set piece, exaggerating contact and the referee was just eating it up you know there were 36 fouls committed throughout this game the most of any champions league game this season and you know, like was there a, you. was there a bad foul in the game i don't think you know there were some cynical ones that i mentioned i think kivior got booked for you know a very similar kind of a foul where the guy got beyond mm -hmm. him and he pulled him back i've got no issue with that you know but it it, it is um I mean, particularly, they paid attention to what Arsenal are, are good at from set pieces, right? And mm -hmm. the from the start, I think what they were doing was sowing doubt in the mind of the referee. Because what happens, you know, is, is um, the defending team usually gets the benefit of the doubt. So yeah. the defender is grappling Ben White, for example, and falls over and the referee comes over and has a word with both of them. And it could be entirely down to the defender. I'm not saying Ben White is innocent or anything, but we, we know he's not. But Arsenal players simply trying to move around the box and Porto players falling over. And the ref is like, well, I'm going to give the free kick to 
to Porto. Something even must though, have happened here. Yeah, know? exactly. Uh, and they did that right from the right from the start. And it, it I'm not saying it completely nullified our effectiveness from set pieces, but you know, I think even if we'd scored a header they probably would have gone back to look at VAR and said, well, there was a foul there, there was a foul here. You know what I mean? And it is it is deeply cynical, but also very, very effective. Yeah, I mean, you, I saw a lot of people saying that Arsenal need to adapt. And I, and I agree to a certain extent because you need to be reactive and malleable in games to, to adjust to the referee or to the opposition. But I'm not sure what more they could have done when the referee was just giving them free kicks for contact that on some occasions they were initiating themselves. I mean, there was another corner as well in the second half where Diego, uh, Diogo Costa went down clutching his foot and it was his own player. And it's, you know, it's, yeah. it's things like that, that again, that's another 30 seconds on the ground. Porto can recover, um, get back into their shape, have a breather. So, they they played it well. They played it well. And I'm not saying that teams can't play against us like this. And naturally, when you lose, there seems to be this narrative that you can only blame yourselves. But there were a few other considerations in this game that we had to deal with and ultimately didn't deal with them well enough. I mean, there was a, a real sense of the of the Newcastle game when they came to the Emirates last season. Yeah. Um, the ball was in play for just 51.7% of the game, the lowest percentage of any other Champions League knockout tie so far this season. I mean, you can just see the stats are overwhelming in terms of how stop-start the game was. Um, and we, we never got to grips with it. I I don't think Arsenal were brave enough in possession. I don't think they were sharp enough in the final third in terms of their passing or their final action. There were some opportunities that balls were just bobbling away from people and crosses were being overhit. So I'm, I'm not saying that we cannot look at ourselves here. Um, it was just looking at the match as a whole. It was just so difficult for us to gain any type of fluency or uh, or the transitions. Like you said, we lead Europe's top five top five leagues for high turnovers, and we. We didn't do anything. I think we had 14 touches in the box yesterday. Just not good enough. Not yeah. good enough. And, and that's what happens. The margins are so small in Europe. And, and we saw that late on. Yeah. I mean, talking about the corners, you know, there was a chance in the second half from Trossard, if you remember, where he volleyed over. They would have given that as a foul as well. But they did. He'd already Pepe went down. Yeah, yeah the, the ref blew the whistle, actually. And they're sort of talking about it on, on TV, like, oh, he should have should have hit the target there. All well and good. But the referee had already blown by the time the ball had gone over the bar because Pepe fell over. There was no foul. He fell over. Yeah. I appreciated the, the attempt, though. And some of our corners were claimed well by Costa. Um, at times, I thought they were a little bit easy for him especially Saka delivering from mm. uh, in swingers from the right side but we had chances Saliba had one at the back post in the first half Havertz, Havertz had one at the back post in the first half Gabriel had one in the second half from a free kick you know it, again it's margins one of those goes in and this is a different game sure but uh, <laughs> there was another chance that you could say from a Porto perspective where they undoubtedly 
should have been ahead and, and kind of miraculously weren't. And I had no idea what had happened <laughs> until I saw about four replays of it's this crazy, incident. It's crazy, isn't it? Because, you know, we all watch football on a regular basis and you can see pretty quickly what has happened. You know, when, when, when something goes down on the pitch, you know what it is because you've seen it before. And I don't think I've ever quite seen anything like that before, which is why, like you, I needed the replays to see. It's, it's fair to say, I think that Porto should have been ahead. Arsenal were lucky not to concede in that first half. You know, Saliba, who you mentioned, just ball watching a little bit, allowed Galeno to get ahead of him, shot off the, uh, off the far post, came right back to him. He put it wide of the near post. I mean, the reaction of David Raya to this is it tells you everything. He's like, what? What? You know, it it all happened so quickly that nobody could react. Um, but really, Porto should have been ahead there. Yeah, the, the, the stadium, or at least 75% of the stadium, were already cheering. <laughs> um, and the, the stadium DJ started to play the goal music before quickly going, <laughs> oh, uh, red button, red button. Um, so it, I had really, even the way it came back off the advertising hoardings, it looked like it had gone in the back of the net. Yeah. It was just a, a really confusing moment. I, to be honest, the whole passage of play was bad. Kivior was beaten too quickly, uh, too easily by Conte Sao on the right. Gabriel's clearance wasn't good enough. Saliba, don't know what he's doing there. I mean, mm. he, he's just watching it loop over. And we were extremely fortunate to escape there because at that point, I, I wouldn't say that Porto had done a lot, but we certainly didn't do anything to to kind of justify that being against the run of play. So no. got away with one there, but um, yeah, I don't think we really capitalized on that luck in the game, to be honest. No, I mean, in terms of chances, you know, we had seven shots, they had eight shots, they had two shots on target. Um, you know, one of which was a, a fairly routine save from David Raya um, after a nice bit of play. I think it was Evan Nielsen with the shot. Um, took a deflection mm-hmm. off Rice. Keeper got down well to make a you know a save that you would expect him to make. But it was a game where you know I don't think we were under a huge amount of pressure. We didn't play well. We didn't create anywhere near enough. I don't think we were. Like, I don't think we were anywhere near our best. I also think Porto played in a way which made it difficult for us. It was quite interesting. Before the game, the goalkeeper was talking about uh, Arsenal having weaknesses. And and Mm -hmm. I do wonder if the way that they played, you know, was a demonstration that they got their game plan pretty much spot on. It wasn't so much a case that they were going to come and expose Arsenal weaknesses by hurting us time and time again and threatening in our final third, I think what they identified was that if you deny Arsenal space in areas of the pitch and, as you say, um, make it impossible to uh, play in transition or use the high turnovers to turn the opposition around and get our uh, attacking players into the final third, then we struggle a bit. And I think that is probably what they had identified. So in as much as we can say Arsenal did not play well and weren't brave enough and weren't aggressive enough, as Arteta said afterwards, you know, I think 
as loath as we are to do it, you probably have to give some credit to the Porto game plan and the way that they executed it. Because, you know, they have a 40-year-old at center half, a 40-year-old and a 20-year-old who only made his debut uh, on the weekend. You know, that's a mm-hmm. central defensive partnership that on paper you should be testing with the players that Arsenal have. And in reality, we didn't. And I think, you know, in particular, Porto were extremely solid in the fullback areas. They were. Um, Martinelli, I thought, was probably the poorest performer on the night for me from an Arsenal perspective. I, I thought he was really clumsy and clunky in possession. Um, but we'd, we'd kind of gone back a few weeks and he was being doubled up on really well. It was Joao Mario and Conte Sao, both super diligent in their defensive work. Uh, Vendel against Saka, the same. You know, won most of his individual battles. I thought Alan Varela just sitting in front of the back four was very good. It, yes, there were good individual performances from a Porto perspective, but for me, it was it was about their collective. They completely stifled Arsenal when it needed to be two against one. They did two against one. When somebody needed to jump out and press, somebody jumped out and pressed. You know, this is a clearly a very organized, well-drilled team and their form hasn't been incredible this season. So I think they identified that as a real way to disturb Arsenal. And I'm not saying the goal was deserved from a Porto perspective, but their game plan was to break things up, stifle us and try to take their chances when they could. And it's just hugely frustrating to see it happen in the 93rd minute Mm. for what was practically the last kick of the game having had a horrible 30-second sequence oh. with about three or four individual errors, you know, littered inside of that. Well, yeah. Okay, so let's go there. We might as well talk about the goal that we conceded because I think this game was heading for a nil-nil and I don't... Look, you can complain about a nil-nil, of course, but I don't think anyone would have said it was necessarily an unfair result if we come away uh, with a draw from that game. You know, you can acknowledge we didn't play well, you can acknowledge the opposition did well to negate what we are good at and also think, well, on the night, nil-nil. Yeah, look, it's uh, it's a result that probably suits both coaches and both teams. Mm-hmm. But where I think Mikel Arteta will be extremely frustrated is the fact that his team got really, really careless at a at a terrible time in the match. And there are a number of... There's not one big glaring error, but there are a number of issues, a number of things that we could have done better. Gabriel lets a routine pass from Saliba run under his foot. So instead of playing it out to the left back on the halfway line, he gets turned around. He has to go back to David Raya, plays the pass to David Raya's left foot. It's not a terrible clearance from David Raya, but it's not a brilliant one either. Porto Mm -hmm. get the ball back in midfield. Declan Rice has a chance to win it back. It squirts to Martinelli. Look, I, I I see what he's doing, right? He's trying to be positive. He's trying to set Arsenal away on the counter to get a goal to win the game in the last couple of minutes. But I think he falls between two stools here. You know, there's two passes he can make. There's the ball over the top for Saka or there's a pass into midfield for Martin Odegaard. And I think he just sort of gets caught in the middle and, and neither of them mm-hmm. come off. From there, it goes back into Galeno. Declan Rice doesn't react quickly enough, does not get out quickly enough, which is unusual for him. 
and the shot is, I think it's a good shot. I think it's a good finish. I think if an Arsenal player pulls that off, we're talking far more about the the quality of the finish than anything to do with the goalkeeper. But I also think it doesn't look brilliant for David Raya either. I'm not saying it's a mistake from him per se, but I think perhaps he jumps a little bit early. And I also think that this is maybe the kind of goal that you concede with a relatively small goalkeeper. And, I'm, you know, mm-hmm. this isn't to negate everything that Raya brings to the team. And I'm not saying you've got to get a six foot seven guy in there because he could be just Kepa or Mendy or one of those gigantic, but still useless, you know, but just a couple of extra inches on his arms maybe stops that goal going in. So it was it was a combination of, of real carelessness and scrappiness from Arsenal with a very good finish from Porto. And given the timing in the game, it was a it was a fucking gut punch. It was. Um, it was a lovely strike from Galeno. He finds the side netting really well. There's a lovely kind of looping trajectory on the ball. But something about the attempt to save the shot just looked strange or a bit weird, whether it was his positioning or the dive. I mean, I texted you in, in that moment. He looked a bit Jordan Pickford for me in that moment in terms of the reach and the stretch. But... Mm. At the end of the day, I don't think this is a goal that you can pin on on any one individual. This was a collective failure, um, lapses of com- concentration, poor execution of pass, and just an inexcusable goal to concede at that point, really. Yeah. It was really disappointing because, as you said, the game had totally fizzled out. From the 70th minute onwards there wasn't a chance or anything to speak about at all. I think Evan Nilsson had one which Declan Rice got in the way of. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe the Gabriel header happened in between um, that chance and and the full-time whistle, but... Yeah, I mean... The game was just fizzling out. The Gabriel chance is a good chance by his standards. It's a good chance. it's It's a... Not quite a free header, but given his aerial prowess... I think he'll he'll be disappointed. That happened just like what thirty seconds before we we contrived to to produce those mistakes, those misjudgments. You know, I don't even think you can call that a lack of experience at this level because the players know it doesn't matter what game it is. Like if this is a must-win game, you can understand them going a little bit hell for leather. But you you just have to put your foot on the ball make the pass, you know, is it different if Martinelli sends that ball over the top and Saka runs on? Yeah, but it's like a 5% chance that you can make that pass and and anything comes of it. You have to be sensible. You've got to be secure. You've got to do your your job. You know, Rice, we can talk about the goalkeeper. I think if Rice gets out quicker and blocks that, you know, it's a moot point. We're not talking about the goalkeeper at all. Um, yeah, it reminded me of the of the goal we conceded away at Lons earlier this season after the yeah casual kind of kick out from David Raya, which isn't a huge error in itself, but just dropping your standards by a tiny bit can leave leave you open to maximum punishment. Right, the execution from Galeno, just like it was away in France uh, with Eliawahi and oh, I, the, I forget the guy who scored the goal. But their execution of that moment was perfect. 
And it kind of felt a little bit similar with Galeno last night, that errors, both individual and collective, were just punished to the maximum. Mm. Thomason was uh, the guy for for Lons. Sorry, what was that? Thomason. Yeah, Thomason. Mm. So just really frustrating. The timing in which it happened was a killer, a gut punch. There was no time for us to react at all. Um, and after an already lackluster performance, the narrative then turns onto Arsenal very quickly and the bad European record comes to the fore. All of these kind of vulnerabilities and insecurities about where you stand in Europe come to the fore as players and as fans. And and all of a sudden you get caught in this this spiral of negativity, um, to quote our old friend, Andre Villas-Boas. <laughs> but it just, yeah, it's a, it's a disappointing one, a one that's kind of difficult to take in, as we sit about it here and talk about it. But it's still very recoverable. And I think going home in, in three weeks, we will kind of take Porto at face value, having learned a bit more about them and how they play. Maybe there will be time for a few tactical tweaks because the ones that have worked so well for us in recent weeks didn't work last night. I'm thinking the relationship between Trossard and Havertz, we hardly saw any of that mm. um, that fluidity, that ability to interchange. There was just no chance for us to do it. I thought Ben White coming inside looked a bit ineffective and vulnerable at times in possession. So look, you have to evolve. You're constantly evolving. And I think there will be things for Arteta to look at, hopefully with a few guys returning, hopefully with a few guys returning, I say, because it just seems like they are <laughs> lost yeah. from from now on. I don't know what's happening there or if there's a time frame in any of them. Um, but yeah, our, our home record has, has been quite good historically against Porto. I think we've played three and one three. So let's see. We just have to dust ourselves off and go again. Yeah. But there were lessons to be learned, some moments of immaturity to, to kind of cancel out. Um, and, and we go again just to, you know, chalk it off and dust yourselves down and go again. Yeah, I mean, the away record against Porto is as bad as our home record is good. So, mm -hmm. you know, there's a there's a reason to be, you know, slightly confident if you want to take some kind of historical precedent from these things, which, you know, I'm not sure you really can. I think these things are a bit more coincidental. You know, just because A happens doesn't mean B is going to follow, you know, in football. But I, I'm sort of interested in what you think about it. I've seen some, some obviously after a game like this, there's anxiety because the European record is not great under Mikel Arteta. He still has a lot to prove, plenty to prove. He still, ha he still hasn't won a, a knockout game. At home, um, apparently. At yeah. home. Yeah, lost to Olympiacos twice, drew against Slavia Prague, Villarreal and Sporting before losing on penalties. Well, look, so, the, the law of averages is on our side for the next round, right? It has to happen <laughs> sooner or later. And that that is the immutable uh, law that, that not even football can, can avoid. I mean, I get it. He has to produce and he has to produce a performance in, in this round. But when it comes to last night, I've seen people say, could he have done more from the bench? Is there, you know, are there changes he could have made? And I think it's an interesting discussion because in last night's game, I kind of understand why there wasn't more from the bench. I understand the introduction mm -hmm. of Jorginho. 
just to give your your side a little bit more structure. I don't think he was brilliant, but I can understand why you would make that particular change. If you were looking to absolutely change the game last night, if you were looking for somebody to come on and change the dynamic of the game, who was it? I don't think that player's yeah. on the bench, right? Maybe, maybe Smith Rowe, and I think it's a big maybe, but, you know, I don't think Eddie and Kedia changes that game. I don't think Reese Nelson changes that game. So away from home in Europe against a team who's playing the way they're playing on a night where your team is struggling a little bit, I understand why we didn't make any more changes. It does raise the bigger question of, of squad building, of course, that this is what we've got on the bench. But it also, I think, is fair to point out that if we had players like Partey, Zinchenko, Gabriel Jesus, Jurian Timber, Takehiro Tomiyasu, big if I know, but if we had all of those players available and he didn't make changes, then I think it's a much bigger discussion to have than last night where in reality there was not a lot on the bench to try and change anything. And, and for me, it sort of solidifies the next step in the evolution of this team where we have to, um, with all due respect to these guys, look to improve on players like Eddie, like Reese Nelson, and be able to turn to our bench and say, this guy has something different. This guy could just bring a little bit of mayhem, chaos, pace, whatever, to this occasion that could change the dynamic of the game. Whereas I don't think we had it last night. No, uh, certainly to change the game, I, I agree with you. Maybe to maintain it is a different question. And I think that's what the Jorginho substitution was about. Maybe there could have been a Reese Nelson for Martinelli just to have a injection of fresh legs in wide areas, mm. which can help you both defensively and offensively. I had no issue with moving Havertz further forward once Trossard was replaced. It's Again, it's it, it, these discussions keep coming up. I, you look at Emil Smith-Rowe, you look at Nelson, you look at Enketia, I just think they're falling away from, from where this team is going. Uh, with each passing week, it just feels like our trajectory is not being matched by their quality. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's quite clear that Arteta doesn't really trust them in these high pressure, high intensity moments. And on the flip side, there's a general frustration about certain players who keep getting injured and missing these games. Nobody wants to get injured. It's not their fault per se, but mm -hmm. is this a conversation that we have to look at and say, it's the same people costing us again. You know, these are key pillars, key players in our team who are just not available. Um, mm. which is which is another source of frustration because maybe not so much this season, but last season, Gabriel Jesus and, and Alexander Sinchenko came in and changed our worlds. They completely redefined how we play, how Arsenal are viewed, how we are considered. Um, and I think they've played about 50% of the minutes between them um, since joining the club. Tomiyasu, again, maybe rushed back into things for Japan at the Asian Cup. He's come back injured. Jesus kind of maybe pushed a boundary against Nottingham Forest, has been injured. Nobody's seen or heard anything since then. Zinchenko, calf injury again. You know, mm. uh, 
every team has to battle injuries. I'm not saying this is an excuse. Again, this is not to excuse our performance on the night, but just having a lack of um, ability to change the game did, sure. I think, contribute to the result. No, I agree. And and you look at those players, you know, Timber excluded, Partey, bad injury records, Zinchenko, patchy injury record, Gabriel Jesus, you know, has been in and out, had an injury problem since that big knee injury that he picked up in the World Cup. Tommy Asu, I love him as a player, but reliability issues. So you've got those four guys who would absolutely be potential, not game changers, but give you such variety and ability to do something different in a game like this. Mm -hmm. But there are big question marks over there, um, over their availability and their reliability, which is why I come back to what I I said a bit uh, earlier on about this isn't like direct criticism of of Eddie and Reese Nelson per se, but as players who are generally speaking available and more um, robust than the players I've just mentioned, is that not where we have to look to upgrade? I know you can say, well, anyone who's injury prone, get rid of them and get somebody who's always fit in. But, you know, it's a bit simplistic to say that. But in terms of the places in the squad, players who can be on the bench, players who can start games, players who will be fit. You know, I think Nelson and and, um, Eddie have been pretty much fit all season long. And they're, you know, we're at a point in the season where they're not really being used or they're only being used when we're 6-0 up or 5-0 up away from home and they come on, have a run around and it doesn't really matter. I think that is probably where you're looking, for me anyway, you're looking at those two positions as as absolutely key upgrades come the summer. Agreed, but we've had to look at squad building as a process. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult to do six, seven, eight outgoings, then another eight incomings every summer. You kind of need to plan things a bit more carefully. We've got a homegrown quota to consider. Um, Losing, let's say, two of those three Halen graduates leaves us in a bit of a a position where we need to consider it moving forward. Mm. You know, so it's, it's difficult. And as you progress, the quality of player that you'd like to bring in won't accept a squad slash bench role there needs to be a, an honest conversation about where they are considered in in the the hierarchy um so it, it's not an easy thing to do and i have sympathy for edu and and arteta about this because the jump that we are making now from a top four team to consistent title challenges is probably the most difficult jump of all mm-hmm. um and not everyone gets it right and can sustain it I mean, when you're Man City, it's fine because you can just throw money away every summer. Um, but I think we've had to view our squad building as a process. Sure. Slowly, slowly, we're getting there. But it doesn't help that a lot of our options have been um, injury prone and absent for large stretches of the season. Yeah. You know, as we've said plenty of times, we need these guys back or we need some of these guys back. Because, you know, we have these dual challenges now of, of Europe and and uh, the Premier League. And, you know, it's three weeks, I think, before the, the next leg against Porto. March could be quite a barren month, actually, because uh, there's a game against Sheffield United away. 
then Brentford, then uh, Porto, the second leg against Porto. We're supposed to be playing Chelsea on the Saturday, the 16th of March, but that game could get moved mm-hmm. if Chelsea win their FA Cup replay. So March could only have one, two, three, four games in it because there's an interlull as well. Uh, and an interlull just before the game against um, Manchester City, which isn't really ideal. Um, but maybe it gives us a chance to get some players back and get some fitness into these guys and everything else. What what do you make of accusations that, that Arsenal played for a draw last night? And this is what you get when you play for a draw, that if you're not ambitious enough, you know, you, you can get um you can get punished. You know, I have to say I don't agree. I don't think we were playing for a draw. I think in the end, we should have seen the draw out, but I don't think the intention from the start was to go out and, and just sort of play for a draw. Oh, is that based on what Conte Sal said afterwards? <laughs> sort said, of. And we, I've seen we, a lot of people a lot of people suggest that. A lot of people replied to me on Twitter last night, you know, sort of saying, no, oh, we deserve to lose because we didn't try and win. You know, I just think some nights you don't play well. You don't play uh, as well as you can. And, and it's not a question of not wanting to. I don't think any team, you know, really, unless it is a deeply cynical side like a Mourinho side, you know, will absolutely set up for a draw. I think Arsenal, in the form they were in, going into this game, had every intention to go out and try and win the game. They didn't do it because they didn't play well enough, but it's not its not that they didn't want to. No, I mean, I get it. I, shortly after full-time, emotions are kind of running high, frustrations are there. I don't agree with that at all. Um, Arsenal just fell below their usual standards, technically, tactically, individually we were short of where we've seen this team in the last couple of weeks and that makes a difference what a surprise in in these european games where the margins are tight and fine small things like that even dropping your levels five percent uh can cost you and i think that's what happened porto had their moment with the late goal we missed our half moments half chances with a couple of headers from set pieces and, and that ended up being the difference in the game you can dissect and analyze the performance were we progressive enough were we brave enough did we do enough in the final third to cause a uh, 40 year old center back enough problems no and and that's just what it boils down to on the night I think I don't think there was any chance or instruction of Arteta saying to any of these players just go and manage this game we want a draw going back to the Emirates. I, I don't see that or subscribe to that at all. Yeah. Well, look, it is uh, obviously disappointing to lose, disappointing to lose in the fashion that we did, disappointing not to play well, but it is, as people have said, just half time and a lot can change in the second leg. And I think Arsenal should be relatively confident about what we can do at home and how we might create the sort of environment uh, to make life a little more difficult for Porto. I think, you know, going back to the way that they fell over and the way the referee bought it, a lot of that was was very home tinged. So I think mm-hmm. it's I think it's something we have to be cognizant of when when the second leg comes around. That you know, an atmosphere at home and you know, learn how to play the opposition, learn how to play the officials. And I think we've got the talent, and I think we do have the ability to to go through in in the second leg. Just finally. You mentioned it a bit earlier on about the Newcastle game last season. I was waiting for this, yeah. (laughs) I know. 
And I was like, yeah, oh, it's really terrible to play a team as cynical and, and as, you know, trying to break up the game as frequently as Porto did. Good thing we're back in Premier League action this weekend. Yeah, oh. well, <laughs> uh, you know, Newcastle and I'm sure Eddie Howe and his, his fucking terrible mate will have been looking at this last night and thinking, okay, we'll have a bit of that. We can go and uh, try a bit of that at the Emirates because... You know, they, they are, as we saw in the game at, at St. James's Park, they're a team that does that. And somewhat unfortunately, they're a team that is allowed to do that. They're allowed to get away with things that, for whatever reason, many other teams aren't. So that is going to be, this weekend, something of a challenge for Arsenal to, to bounce back from the disappointment, but sort of knowing in the back of our minds uh, and we'll talk about this, you know, in a bit more detail in the, in the preview podcast tomorrow, um, that Newcastle are probably going to be a little bit Porto on, on Saturday evening. Completely. They were the ones that kind of invented this uh, blueprint in, in terms of this Arsenal team. Uh, we've seen mm. countless teams play against Arsenal like this in the past. Um, but in terms of where we are under Mikel Arteta now, they were the first team last season to come not only to the Emirates, but in, in any game, home or away, and say, we are going to completely stop any chance you have of playing. I, I, I was at that game and they were basically acting as the officials that game. Kieran Trippier mm. might as well have had a whistle in his hand. He was, he was in charge of that whole game, falling down, taking... 30 seconds to a minute for every set piece um, complaining, you know, and we need to be switched on to that because that day was really frustrating. And look, we haven't lost much since then, but I think the games that we have lost have tended to follow this kind of pattern. Mm. So I've got no doubt that Arteta and his team and the players will be looking at this over the next couple of days. There will be video sessions. There will be honest talks about, where our performance levels dropped last night. And, you know, there is pressure. There is pressure now going into this game. Liverpool won last night, City won on Tuesday. Mm. Eyes will be on us again to kind of keep pace, having had a good few weeks in the Premier League. So we are constantly learning about this team. And look, if they need to show, they need to show us that we, we are, sorry, this, this phrase just messed up in my brain. They need to show us that we think they are as good as we think we are. they are. <laughs> God, my brain just kind of frazzled. Um, I think I know what you're saying. Or, yeah, yeah. Yes, or they need to prove to us that we are watching a team that we think we are watching. Yeah. You know? And I, I think we will be able to do that. But it wouldn't surprise me at all to see a lot of shithousery from Kieran Trippier, Bruno Gimaraish, uh, Dan Byrne, big Dan Byrne at left back, sorry yeah. to use his full name. And and this is just what we have to deal with now. So All let's right. see, an interesting one for sure, but we kind of have to let this let this one go and we can't dwell on it because that's when you start to lose games on the bounce. For so. sure. Bounce back quickly. All right, we will leave it there as ever, Phil. Thank you very much. Thank you. And hopefully we'll have some some better luck this weekend. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? 
helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's a brand new year, and what better time to get going with that online store you've been thinking of? Those, I was there when Arsenal actually scored a goal t-shirts would fly off the shelves right now. And to get yourself up and running, you need Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way through to the did we hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms, and sell more with less effort with thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Sign up for a $1 a month trial period at shopify.com slash arsblog, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash arsblog now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash arsblog. Thank you very much indeed to Phil. You can find him on Twitter. He is at underscore Phil Costa, at underscore Phil Costa. So, as disappointing as it was last night, and it certainly was, the players have to put that behind them and focus now on a very important game and a very difficult game against Newcastle on Saturday evening. You can join us on Patreon tomorrow afternoon, Friday afternoon. We will look ahead to that game after Mikel Arteta has met the press and maybe we get some information on whether we've got a player or two back from injury, which would be very useful indeed. Myself and Lewis will preview that game so please join us over on Patreon patreon.com forward slash arsblog for now thank you very much as always for being with us hope you enjoyed the show and we will catch you on the next one until then cheers bye bye